Sit down, my dear Captain Gregg. Or is it Lieutenant? Captain? Lieutenant? What makes you think I'm in the army at all, for that matter? Come, come. Your profession isn't hard to perceive. Your manner, your bearing, the very clothes you're wearing. That handkerchief tucked in your sleeve. A military custom, I believe. Of course you're an officer. Sandhurst. Am I right? And you're too young for a major, and so I should gauge you're a captain. Well, I'll be... Quite. Sir, I'm amazed. You show surprise, and yet the facts are there before your very eyes. And it's so simple, sublimely simple. If you learn not just to see, but to observe. Put your brain to work, not just the optic nerve. If you put your mind to use, you will find the most abstruse become so simple. Oh, yes, so simple. Just as simple as a simple thing can be. And it's hardly very hard to see he's in the palace guard. Oh, no, it's simple as ABC. Now, wait a minute. How did you know I was in the palace guard? So, my dear captain, the line of your sunburn straight across your brow. No cap with a visor makes that mark. And eyes are asked what type of headgear could possibly do that. A brimless bearskin hat. Now, who wears a busby? You answer that, and then all other suppositions you discard. Just guardsmen. And only when on duty in the palace yard. Well, I'll be bound. Does it astound? What other possible solution could be found? It's all so simple, absurdly simple. Why do people always fail to realize that it's not enough to merely use their eyes? They keep going round half blind, never using what's behind. You see, it's simple. Oh, yes, it's simple. However difficult it might at first appear. And it isn't hard to place, there's a woman in the case. Oh, no, it's simple, so very simple, it's as simple. Now, Holmes, look here. How on earth could you know that there's a woman involved in his case? The same way I know that you sent off a telegram today. You did send a telegram. Yes, but how? Your problem is a woman? Yes, but... Now, my dear Watson, please examine the heel of your slipper. You'll note a trace of clay there, the colour of a kipper. That hue is my clue, and it makes the case complete. For such clay is only found where they're digging up the ground at the doorway to the post office on Wigmore Street. Holmes. And as for you, sir... As far as I can see, the reason for your nervousness can only be one of three. Either a mortal threat, or a very pressing debt, or the utterly inhuman machinations of a woman who is possibly toying at destroying your career. Is it she, or money, or terror brings you here? Now, from your bravery tonight, it would surely appear that if anything at all, it isn't violence you fear. And you gave that so-called beggar so much money that it's clearly the last alternative. And positive I am when I say, cherchez la femme. Why, sir, you're right. A child could do it. Once you get the knack, there's really nothing to it. Why, it's so simple, absurdly simple. It's as obvious as two and two make four. Rudimentary deduction, nothing more. 
Though at first we were impressed, we see now that Edit's best is also simple. It's more than simple. It's the very essence of simplicity. No, we cannot disagree. Or as any fool can see. It's also simple. Oh, yes, it's simple. Simple. Easy. Nothing. Basic. Child's play. Plainly as evident as evidence can be. It's elementary. Hi, I'm Michael Weber, Artistic Director of Chicago's Porchlight Music Theatre, opening at the Broadway Theatre February 16, 1965, with a book by Jerome Cooper Smith, adapted from the stories by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and music and lyrics by Marion Grudoff and Raymond Jessel, plus additional songs by Jerry Bach and Sheldon Harnick, Baker Street was one of the most highly anticipated productions of the season. Producer Alexander H. Cohen felt that the show was such an event that he announced prior to the opening men would not be admitted unless they were clad in jackets and ties, and women would be allowed in only if they wore dresses. This policy quickly changed once mixed reviews started coming in. Directed by Hal Prince, the cast included Fritz Weaver, Peter Salas, Martin Gable, Inga Swenson, Virginia Vestoff, and, in supporting roles, Christopher Walken and Tommy Toon in his Broadway debut. Loosely based on the 1891 Sherlock Holmes story A Scandal in Bohemia, with elements of The Final Problem and The Empty House as well, it is set in and around London in 1897, the year in which England celebrated the Diamond Jubilee of the reign of Queen Victoria, an event marked in the show by an elaborate royal procession depicted by Bill Baird's marionettes. The musical veers from Conan Doyle's work in that the character, Irene Adler, becomes an associate of Holmes rather than his opponent, thus allowing an element of romance between the two. The production was huge and gorgeous, with a legendary marquee display outside the theater, but for some, it was a show in which the book was superior to the score. This was not a surprise. When director Hal Prince heard the proposed music by Broadway neophytes Marion Grudeff and Raymond Jessel, he warned that if the score did not improve, he would bring in Sheldon Harnick and Jerry Bach, the successful composing team of Fiorello, She Loves Me, and Fiddler on the Roof. Producer Cohen refused to dump Grudeff and Jessel, even as Bach and Harnick were hired to contribute additional songs, including Cold Clear World and I Shall Miss You. They also wrote I'm in London Again, which was the first song for Irene Adler, but after opening night, this song, which can be heard on the cast album, was dropped and replaced by another Bach and Harnick composition, Buffalo Bell which had Irene Adler performing an elaborate Wild West number. Sherlock Holmes had a long relationship with radio, going back to the 1930s with programs created in America as well as, naturally, England. Two of the most popular programs, one starring actors Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce, who both starred in a popular Holmes and Watson series of films in the 1930s and 40s, and another with lauded English actors Sir John Gielgud and Sir Ralph Richardson, produced for the BBC, 
each kept Conan Doyle's stories alive for generations. What we have for you today are two episodes from one of each of these series, featuring stories that became the basis for the Broadway musical Baker Street. These being non-musical programs, as with the opening of our show, will pepper in tunes from the original cast album throughout this program. We start with the December 10th, 1945 episode of The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Here are Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in A Scandal in Bohemia. This episode from the life of Sherlock Holmes will be transmitted to our men and women overseas by shortwave and through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Petri Wine brings you... Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine invite you to listen to Dr. Watson tell us another exciting adventure he shared with his old friend, that master detective, Sherlock Holmes. And you know something? I had an adventure tonight I wish you could have shared with me. I had a steak about, oh, an inch and a half thick, tender, juicy, and with it I had a glass of Petri California Burgundy. Now there's a combination, steak and Petri Burgundy. That Petri Burgundy's a perfect mealtime wine. It's a rich red wine that's hearty and full of flavor. Flavor that comes right from the heart of the grape. And don't think that Petri Burgundy is only good with steak. It'll make a hamburger sandwich taste like a feast, too. Try Petri Burgundy with any meat or meat dish. It's just wonderful. And serve it proudly, too, because after all, the name Petri is the proudest name in the history of American wines. And now I know Dr. Watson's waiting for us, so let's go in and join him. Come in, come in, come in, come in. Good evening, Dr. Watson. Good evening, Mr. Bartell. You're quite muffled up tonight, I see. Overcoat, scarf, and gloves. Slip them off and come and join me by the fire. Thanks, Doctor. It's quite a nip in the air tonight. Yes, there is indeed. Well, Doctor, you told us last week that tonight's story centered around the activities of a brilliant and beautiful woman. Yes, my boy. Her name was Irene Adler. But I never knew Holmes referred to her by any other name than the woman. She sounds mighty intriguing. Uh, how did you happen to meet up with her? Well, I'll tell you the story from the beginning. One night, it was on the 20th of May in 1888, to be exact, I was returning home from a visit to a patient when my steps led me through Baker Street. Since my marriage, I haven't seen much of Sherlock Holmes. And and you couldn't uh... resist stopping by at 221B, I'm sure, Doctor. <laughs> oh, of course I couldn't. As I stood outside the well-remembered door... I looked up at the lighted windows and saw the tall, spare figure of my old friend pass twice in dark silhouette against the blind. He was pacing the room swiftly, eagerly, with his head sunk on his chest and his hands clasped behind him. To me, who knew every mood of his and habit of his, his attitude and manner told their own story. He was hot on the scent of some new problem. I rang the bell and a few moments later found myself standing before him. You look in splendid shape. Yes, Holmes, I'm feeling very well, thanks. And in practice again, I see. You didn't tell me that you'd gone back into harness. Oh, but how did you know? Elementary, my dear chap. If a gentleman walks into my rooms smelling of iodoform with, uh, 
a black mark of nitrate of silver on his right forefinger, and a bulge on the left side of his hat to show where he's uh, secreted his stethoscope. I should be dull indeed if I didn't pronounce him to be an active member of the medical profession. Uh, just the same as ever, Holmes. By the way, I'm uh, not interrupting you. Well, you are, old fellow, but it's, um, it's a most welcome interruption. You're working on a new case? Um, it looks like it. This letter arrived by the last post today. It's undated and has neither signature nor address. Read it. Let's huh? have a look. There will call upon you tonight at a quarter to eight o'clock a gentleman who desires to consult you upon a matter of the very deepest moment. Your recent services to one of the royal houses of Europe have shown that you are one who may safely be trusted. This account of you we have from all quarters received. <laughs> uh, be in your chamber then at that hour and do not take it amiss if your visitor wears a mask. It's got it. It's all very mysterious. What do you imagine it means? Look carefully at the note, old fellow. What do you deduce from it? Well, now let me think. Well, the man who wrote it was presumably well-to-do. Such paper couldn't be bought under half a crown a packet. And it's peculiarly strong and, and stiff. Peculiar. That's the very word. It's not an English paper at all. Hold it up to the light. Don't you notice anything? Yes. There's a large E with a small G and, and a large G with a small T. That's right. Woven into the texture of the paper. What does that suggest to you? The name of the maker, no doubt, or perhaps his monogram. Not at all, my dear fellow. The G with the small T stands for Gesellschaft, which is the German for company. And the E-G? That stands for Igria. Yeah. It's a German-speaking country in Bohemia, not far from Carlsbad. Oh, so the paper was made in Bohemia. Undoubtedly, my dear fellow. And the man who wrote the note is a German. How do you know that? Observe the curious construction of the sentence... This account of you we have from all quarters received. A Frenchman or a Russian could not have written that. It's the German who is so discourteous to his words. Oh, there's your count now. I, I, I better go home. No, 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 unless you have to. Well, I, I could stay. I thought that Ben, stay, you... old chap. I'm lost without my Boswell, and this promises to be interesting. I, um, I told Mrs. Hudson to let the masked visitor come upstairs unannounced. Come in. Good evening, sir. You received my note? Yes, indeed, sir. Come in, won't you, and sit down. This is my friend and colleague, Dr. Watson. You may say anything before him that you can say to me. Whom have I the honor to address? You may address me as uh, Count von Kram. How do you do, sir? You must excuse this mask that I wear. Uh, the august person who employs me wishes his agent to be unknown to you, and uh, I may confess at once that the title by which I have just called myself is not exactly my own. I'm well aware of that fact, sir. You see, uh, Mr. Holmes, uh, the matter I am about to discuss... Uh, implicates the great house of Ormstein, hereditary kings of uh, Bohemia. That has not escaped me either, sir. In fact, if you will state your case, I shall be the better able to advise you. Your Majesty. Uh, how did you... Yes. Yes, I am the king. Why should I attempt to conceal it? Why, indeed. I shall remove the mask. There. Mr. Holmes... I have traveled incognito from Prague for the express purpose of consulting you. Then pray consult. Briefly, the facts are these. Some five years ago, uh, during a visit to Warsaw, I made the acquaintance of the well-known adventuress, Irene Adler. Irene Adler? We know of her, Your Majesty. Uh, look her up in the index for me, will you, Watson? Yes, it's right beside you on the desk there. I uh, imagine that the name would not be unfamiliar Here to you. Here we are. A. Abraham's Acton Green Hatchet Murders. Adler. Adler. Splendid, Adler. splendid, old fellow. Hand me the file, will you? Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Irene Adler, born in New Jersey in the United States in 1858, contralto. Mm-hmm. 
Prima Donna Imperial Opera of Warsaw. Mm-hmm. Retired from the operatic stage, living in London. Quite so. And here's a recent notation. Uh-huh. Your Majesty, as I understand, became entangled with this young person, wrote her some compromising letters, and is now desirous of getting those letters back. Precisely so, but how did... Was there a secret marriage? None. No legal papers or certificates? No. Then I fail to follow, Your Majesty. If this young lady should produce her letters for blackmailing purposes, how is she to prove their authenticity? There is the handwriting. Well, that could be a forgery, Your Majesty. But it was private notepaper. Stolen. My own seal. Imitated. My photograph. Bought. What? We were both... In the photograph. Oh, dear, oh, dear. That's very bad. Your Majesty has indeed committed an indiscretion. Uh, did you inscribe the photograph, Your Majesty? Uh, yes, Dr. Watson. I'm afraid I did. Oh, uh, Mr. Holmes, it must be recovered. Perhaps if you were to pay enough, the photograph might be bought. She refuses to sell. Oh, stolen, then. Uh, five attempts have been made. Twice burglars in my pay ransacked our house. Once we diverted her luggage when she traveled. Twice she has been waylaid. There has been no result. Oh, dear. It's quite a pretty little problem. Uh, it is a deadly serious one to me. Your Majesty, what does Miss Adler intend to do with the photograph? To ruin me. Oh, how? Well, I, uh, I'm about to be married to the second daughter of the King of Scandinavia. She is the soul of delicacy. A shadow of a doubt as to my conduct would bring the matter to an end. Mm. And Irene Adler threatens to send the photograph to your fiancée, I suppose. Yes, and she will do it. Rather than let me marry another woman, there are no lengths to which she would not go. Are you sure that she's not already sent it, Your Majesty? I am sure. Now, why, Your Majesty? She said uh, that she would send it on the day my betrothal is publicly announced. That day will be next Monday. Splendid. Then we have still um, three days yet. Uh, Your Majesty will, of course, stay in London for the present. Certainly. You will find me at the Langham Hotel, registered as uh, Count von Kram. Just two questions before you leave, sir. What are they? Is the photograph large or small? Quite large. And uh, it was in a heavy frame. I see. And what is Miss Irene Adler's London address? Brioni Lodge, Serpentine Avenue, St. John's Wood. Uh, thank you, Your Majesty. Good night, and I trust we shall soon have some good news for you. I am placing all my hopes in you, Mr. Holmes. Good night. Good night, Dr. Watson. Uh, good night, Your Majesty. Fascinating problem, Holmes. I, I wish I could help you with it. You can, my dear chap. Huh? I shall be glad of your company. Oh, splendid. Uh, what's our first move, Holmes? Well, a good night's rest, I think. We'll meet here at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. And then? Then, my dear fellow, we will see what we can find out about Miss Irene Adler, late of the Warsaw Imperial Opera Company and at present residing at Bryony Lodge, Serpentine Avenue, St. John's Wood. <laughs> A cursory examination of Brownie Lodge didn't prove very illuminating. No, a bijou residence that represents the essence of dignified suburbia, but tells us very little about its owner. I think a visit to the local public house might prove more instructive. Come on, old chap. I see the door to the coach and horses inviting us from across the road. Well, our disguises shouldn't cause any suspicion, Holmes. That's why I suggested them. In the character of a couple of stable hands... I felt that we might inspire confidence. This is a horsey neighborhood. There's a wonderful sympathy and Freemasonry among the fraternity. There we are. Better let me do most of the talking. Yes, I will indeed. I'm sure that your accent will be more convincing than mine. Let's go in, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> 
Half of Oldham Mall, please. Uh, how about you, Charlie? I'll have a say. Yeah. Two halves of Oldham Mile. <laughs> well, here you are, mateys. That'll be a tenner. Uh, have a drink with us, Governor. Oh, don't mind if I do. <laughs> I'll have a Guinness. You uh, blokes new round here? Yes, that's right. Come over from Clapham. Clapham, eh? Uh, <laughs> well, here's looking at you. Ah. <clears throat> Hunting for jobs? That's right. Uh, we was told that Miss Idler across the Briony Lodge needed a new coachman and a groom. Well, it's the first time I've heard of it, which might be true. Uh, have you been over there to ask? No, not yet. We thought we'd find out something about the old girl first. <laughs> she ain't no old girl, matey. <laughs> She's the prettiest young thing you ever saw under a bonnet, and that's a fact. You know her, Governor? Why, of course I know her. Used to drive her carriage, I did. Uh, uh, for I can't work here. Oh, what's she like? Oh, nice little lady, as you'll find, Jim. A work yard? No, no, no. She, uh, she lives quiet, like. Uh, goes out uh, singing at concerts once in a while. The rest of the time, it's money for Jim. She goes out for a drive in the park every day at five and comes back to dinner at 6.30. The rest of the time's your own. She ain't married, you say? No, no. But uh, she's got a bloke what comes to see her all the time. <laughs> He's a barrister. Nice gentleman. Uh, Mr. Geoffrey Norton is his name. Good-looking fella. Uh, wouldn't be surprised to see him get spliced. <laughs> Sounds like a cushy job to me. Come on, Charlie. Let's get out of the house and see what's what. Much obliged to you, chum. Well, <laughs> good luck, mateys, and, <laughs> and thanks for the dinners. What's our next move, Holmes? Let's stroll back to Briony Lodge. I'm undecided whether to continue my investigation there or to try and find out something about Mr. Geoffrey Norton, the barrister. If he's just her lawyer and nothing else, it's more than likely that she's entrusted the photograph to his safekeeping. Uh, hello. There's a cab waiting outside Miss Adler's house. Hurry, Watson. Maybe Mr. Norton's. Here, here we are at the gate. Yes. Here comes a man hurrying down the pathway. Quick. Flatten yourself behind this post. Listen. Where to now, Mr. Norton? Drive like the devil. First to Gross and Hankies in Regent Street, and then to the Church of St. Monica in the Edgeware Road. Half a sovereign if you do it in 20 minutes. Right, Char, Mr. Norton, up in. Try and signal the cab, Watson. We must follow him. Well, here comes one. Oh, no, it isn't. It's, it's a private carriage. It's heartless, no doubt. Here she comes down the pathway. Back behind the post again, Watson. Where to, Miss Adler? The Church of St. Monica's, John. And half a sovereign if you reach it in 20 minutes. James Foot Watson, quick! We must get a cab and follow them. Here comes a hansom. Hi, cabby, cabby! Here! You blokes got enough money to take a cab? Here's a half sovereign for you, my man. Right you are. Where to, Governor? The Church of St. Monica, in the Edgware Road. And another half sovereign for you if you get us there in 20 minutes. <laughs> the rest of Dr. Watson's story in just a second, but let me tell you something. If you're going to have chicken for dinner tomorrow night, or any night, don't forget to serve that chicken with Petri California Sauterne. Believe me, Petri Sauterne is just about the last word in white wines. It's beautifully golden in color, 
It's delicate and intriguing in flavor, and it's just... <laughs> well, you taste it and see for yourself. If you want a delicious white wine, you certainly want a Petri Sautern. Well, doctor, once again, you broke off your story at the most exciting point. Did uh, you and Sherlock Holmes reach that church inside the 20 minutes? Yes, Mr. Bartell, we did, but the other carriages were there before us. Holmes went into the church after telling me to guard the outside. I must have waited for 10 minutes or more before Mr. Jeffrey Norton and Miss Adler came out, spoke a few words to each other, and then left in their separate conveyances. A moment later, Holmes, still dressed as a stable hand, came striding out of the church and down the steps towards me. He was obviously very excited. Watson! Watson! Have they left? Yes, in separate cabs. I overheard him say that he was going back to his office. And she said, I shall drive out in the park and at five this evening. Splendid, old fellow. And come on, we can return to Baker Street. Uh, what happened inside the church? Home? They were married. Married? Of course. The ceremony would have been illegal if it had been performed afternoon. That accounted for their wild dash to the church, jumping to the cab. Where to now, Governor? 221B Baker Street. Oh, so they, they got married, eh? Yes, and it may amuse you to know that I acted as witness at the ceremony. Oh, you did? But how did that happen? Their, their own witness had failed to appear and I was dragged into the breach. The uh, bride gave me the sovereign as a memento. I uh, think I'll wear it on my watch chain in memory of the occasion. What an amazing situation. Things begin to look better for the king, don't they? Yes. Now that she's Mrs. Norton, the chances are that she won't want to expose his majesty after all. I hope so, Watson. I hope so. But we can't afford to take any chances. I think the time is right for us to come to closer grips with the lady. Well, Holmes, now that we've eaten, perhaps you'll tell me your plan. With pleasure, my dear fellow. And while I'm so doing, I'll proceed with applying the makeup for my new disguise. Another disguise? What's it to be this time? I think the character and appearance of an amiable and simple-minded nonconformist clergyman would be most suited to my plan for entering Miss Adler's house. Are you going to try and enter, then? I must, dear fellow. Yes, huh? I'm sure the photograph is there. Miss Adler, or rather Mrs. Norton, will return from her drive in the park at 6.30. We must be at Briony Lodge to meet her. And what then? You must leave that to me. I've already made my arrangements. There is only one point on which I must insist. You must not interfere, come what may, you understand? I'm to remain neutral. Yes, there will be some small unpleasantness. Don't join in it. It will end in my being conveyed into the house. As soon as I'm able to, I shall open one of the windows. You have to watch from the outside. When I raise my hand, you will throw an object which I shall give you through the window and at the same time cry fire. Follow me? Entirely, but what am I to throw? Oh, it's nothing very formidable. Here it is. Huh, looks like a great big cigar. What is it? Just an ordinary plumber's smoke rocket, fitted with a cap at each end to make it self-lighting. Your task is confined to throwing it through the window. When you raise the cry, fire, it will be taken up by quite a number of people. We then walk to the end of the street, and I'll rejoin you in ten minutes. I hope I've made myself clear. Perfectly. Good. And now, old fellow, as soon as I've done my clerical attire, let's be on our way. There's no time to be lost. <laughs> Nearly 6.30, Holmes. We've been pacing up and down in front of our house for half an hour now. I hope she does come back. I'm sure she will. There seem to be a lot of loafers hanging around her gate. All part of my conspiracy, old chap. You'll see them play their parts in a few minutes. You still think the photograph is inside the house? Yes, I'm sure of it. Hmm? It's most unlikely that she carries it about with her. Remember, the king told us it was a, a large frame picture. And also remember that she'd planned to use it within a few days. It must be where she can lay her hands on it. It must be inside her house. But her house has been burgled twice. They don't know how to look. 
Well, how will you look? I won't. I'll get her to show me. She'll refuse. Well, she won't be able to... Here comes the carriage now. Remember, Watson, carry out my orders to the letter. Yes, you can trust me, Holmes. Blimey, here comes the Duchess of Tillowakes. Let's put out the carpet. She might get her tootsies wet. Ah, oh, put a sock in it, Alfie. Leave him alone. She's no better than she ought to be. Please let me through. I live here. Well, ain't that nice? We'll all come in and have a cup of cocoa. <laughs> Move out of the way, please, and let the lady through. Mind your own business. Just because your collar's turned the wrong way, you can't spoil our fun. That's right, Eddie. Keep your nose out of it, Parson. Please, please don't fight about it. I tell you to stop molesting the lady. Do ya? Then how would you like a biff in the nose? <laughs> oh, he hit the poor man. Then he ran away, the coward. Is the clergyman badly hurt? He hit his head, Mum, and he fell. If you ask me, he's hurt bad. He's bleeding something terrible. Can we bring him in, Mum? He can't lie here in the street. Why, of course. Bring him in. Right you are, Mum. Here, Bert. Right out. Give us a hand. Uh, anyway. Cool, poor fella. Do you see what happened to him, mister? Yes, I saw my good woman. A very convincing demonstration. What you mean? Uh, weren't you paid by a, a certain gentleman for this performance? Oh, you knows about it, too. Yeah, you must be a friend of Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Yes, I am. Nice gentleman. He give us five bob a piece for tonight's work. It ain't through yet, though. We got to start yelling fire when somebody tells us. I'm that somebody, my dear lady. Where's Mr. Holmes now? He's inside the house. Yes, he's up near a window. Now he's raising his hand. That's my signal. Now to throw the rocket. Uh, there we are. You have the photograph? No, but I know where it is. She showed me as I told you she would. I'm still in the dark. There's no mystery, old chap. When my accomplices started the round the street, I had a little moist red paint in my hand. As my good friend Alfie pretended to strike me, I clapped my hand to my head and fell down. It's an old trick. Yes, I understand that, but uh, how did my throwing the rocket help you? It was all important, my dear fellow. When a woman thinks her home is on fire, her instinct is at once to rush to the thing she values most. A married woman grabs her baby, an unmarried reaches for her jewel box. In this case, of course, it was the photograph. Well, where was it? In a recess in the living room, just above the right-hand bell pole. I caught a glimpse of it as she half drew it out. When I made it known that the fire was a false alarm, she replaced the photograph. As soon as I was able, I assured her that I was feeling well enough to leave. You didn't take the photograph, then? No, I felt that uh, over-precipitance at this stage might ruin everything. And what do we do now? Drive to the Langham Hotel and inform His Majesty of what has happened. Then return with him here. After that, my dear chap, the case will be ended. This is Brownie Lodge now, Your Majesty. Yes, I am all impatience. Your certainness photograph will still be there, Mr. Holmes. I have every reason to believe so, Your Majesty. Mm, I, I must confess, uh, this is going to be something of an ordeal. And I suggest that you let me do the talking, Your Majesty. I think I know how to handle the lady. Mr. Sherlock Holmes, I believe. Uh, yes, I am Mr. Holmes. How did you know? My mistress told me that you would be likely to call. 
She has left for the continent with her husband. You mean she's left England? Never to return. Uh, then the papers, the photograph. All oh, is lost, Mr. Holmes. We'll soon see. Follow me. She said you'd be looking for something. I hope you find it. This was the bell pole. There's a sliding panel behind it somewhere. Ah, here it is. Uh, it's, uh, it's the photograph there, Mr. Holmes. There is a photograph, but it's a photograph of the lady alone. Uh, here's a letter, and it's addressed to me. Well, what does it say, Holmes? My dear Mr. Sherlock Holmes, you really did it very well. Until after the fire alarm, I had no suspicion. But then, when I realized how I had betrayed myself, I began to think. I'd been warned that if the king employed an agent, it would certainly be you. May I congratulate you on your disguise as the dear old clergyman? Great Scott, you're far more clever than you thought, Holmes. Uh, yeah, yeah, go on. What else does it say? Uh, let me see. My husband and I both thought that the best recourse was flight. So you will find the nest empty. As to the photograph of the king and yourself, his majesty may rest in peace. Thank goodness for that. I love and am loved by a better man than he. Hmm. I leave another photograph, however, that he might care to possess. And I remain, dear Mr. Sherlock Holmes, very truly yours, Irene Norton, nay Adler. What a woman, Watson. What a woman. What a magnificent woman. She fooled me completely. But, uh, oh, I, I'm sorry, Your Majesty. I, I've been unable to bring your business to a more successful conclusion. <laughs> On the contrary, my dear sir, nothing could be more successful. I know that Irene's word is inviolate. The incriminating photograph is now as safe as if it were in the fire. I'm glad to hear your majesty say so. I am immensely indebted to you. Now, pray tell me in, in what way I can reward you. This uh, barrel uh, ring that I wear, <laughs> I should be proud Your majesty to... has something that I should um, value even more highly. You have but to name it. This photograph. Irene's photograph? But certainly... However, you must let me give you something more substantial. Oh, no, 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 Your Majesty. This is uh, something I shall treasure all my life. This and a golden sovereign I received from the lady's hand. They will remind me that I was once tricked by a woman. A woman that I shall never forget. What a woman that Mrs. Adler. Or should I say Mrs. Norton? Ah, that's the kind of woman I could really go for, Doctor. Yes, you could. Just between ourselves, you know, I sort of, uh, well, uh, I sort of could go, go for her myself. <laughs> she was intelligent. Yeah, she was rich. Beautiful. That's the kind of woman you want sitting next to you in front of a cozy fire on a nippy fall night. Just the three of you. The three of you? Mm-hmm. You, she, and a glass of Petri Port. <laughs> Mr. Bartellicum. Why not? <laughs> That Petri California port is some wine. Boy, that Petri family really knows how to make good wine, all right. And no wonder. Look at all the experience they've had. Ever since they started the Petri business way back in the 1800s, the Petri family has handed down from father to son, from father to son, the art of selecting perfect sun-ripened California grapes and making them into clear, fragrant, delicious wine. Those letters, P-E-T-R-I, on the label of every bottle of Petri wine are the personal assurance of the Petri family that every drop of wine in that bottle is good wine. It's got to be, because Petri took time to bring you good wine. After your show tonight, Miss Adler, I shall ask you to play an extra performance with me. 
we shall appear as members of the lower class and journey through the underworld of London. Daisy! Yes, Mum? What shall I wear? The red, Mum? No. The blue? No, that's hopeless. What about the mauve, Mum? What? The mauve with the bustle. Gorgeous. On you. <gasps> what? With my derriere? <laughs> I've simply got nothing to wear. I was mad to say yes, but I'm glad nonetheless. What a night this is going to be. There's the scent, there's the hum of adventure to come. What a night this is going to be. Tonight's a night that's fraught with excitement. Tonight is a night meant for me. For tonight I'm with him. Win or lose, sink or swim. In or out, wrong or right, what a night this is going to be. Watson. Yes? How do I look? Dreadful. Good. Eyebrows? Eyebrows? Yes or no? Well, I wouldn't. Then I should. So it's off to the hunt in a few minutes' time. What a night this is going to be. Now at last I confront that Napoleon of crime. What a night this is going to be. Tonight there'll be an intimate party for just Moriarty and me. And Miss Adler, of course. Perhaps I should feel remorse. For she can't know just quite what a night this is going to be. Somehow it is strange I'm not afraid of all the dangers of tonight. Oh, ma'am, I know you wait. But as for me, I feel I'm going Compared to faint. Compared to what's in store, no, all the rules I've played before now seem so It's tight. just about complete. By Jove, you look a treat. Just to think that just he to think that she puts his trust in puts me. Puts her trust in Who me. can know how it may go together we shall see what we shall see. She was mad to say yes, but I'm glad what the less this is going to be. What a night this is going to be. Oh, what a night this is going to be. I've never had such fun. There's going to be skullduggery before the night is done. There's a dash, there's a dash in the air everywhere. What a night this is going to be. What a night this is going to be. Just let the gentleman so it's on with the case and there's no time to spare so it's off to the chase oh miss Allen, take care come on bay come on bite what a night this is going to be From this time forth, you are Mrs. Brasser Bates of Biffnor Green. Is that perfectly clear? As clear as a pineless window, love. And speaking of drafts, I feel a bit of a chill in the air. So if I hold on like a sailor's girl, it's warmth, not intimacy, I'm seeking mind, love. Your A's are a trifle flat. Hello, ducks. Hello, sweet. My, you do look at sweet. What, what a night, night this is going to be. 
on and give us a kiss. What, in public like this? What a night this is going to be. Tonight's a night just right for a blowout. Tonight is just my cup of tea. What a lark! What a laugh! What a caper! Not half! What a spree! What a splash! What a bin! What a bash! You're a bit of alright! Mr. Bites, you're a sight! What a night! This is going to be. Our next Sherlock Holmes story is perhaps the most notorious. It was published in the Strand Magazine in the United Kingdom and McClure's in the United States in December 1893. It appears in book form as part of the collection The Memoirs of Sherlock Holmes. The story is set in 1891, and it introduces Holmes' arch-enemy, the criminal mastermind Professor Moriarty. It was intended to be the final Holmes story, ending with the character's death, but Conan Doyle was later persuaded by his outraged fans to revive Holmes for additional stories and novels. The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes was a British radio show produced by Harry Allen Towers and aired on BBC and NBC between 1954 and 1955, starring Sir John Gilgood as Sherlock Holmes and Sir Ralph Richardson as Dr. Watson. Producer Harry Allen Towers also produced BBC's The Black Museum, starring Orson Welles, and clearly he used that connection to entice the lauded actor-director-writer to portray the evil Professor Moriarty on this program. And here they all are, Sir John Gilgood and Sir Ralph Richardson with Orson Welles on the December 21st, 1954 episode of The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes in another story that influenced the Broadway musical Baker Street, The Final Problem. The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. We present the original stories of the late Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, dramatized anew with Sir John Gilgood as Sherlock Holmes, Sir Ralph Richardson as Dr. Watson, and today, Orson Welles as Professor Moriarty. heavy heart that I come before you with the last adventure of my friend Sherlock Holmes that I shall be able to relate. I have tried in my humble way to chronicle some of our exploits together to demonstrate the singular gifts of that most remarkable of men. 
It lies with me now to tell you what occurred between Holmes and his arch-enemy, Professor Moriarty, when at last they came face to face. Mr. Sherlock Holmes, your efforts on the side of law and order have seriously inconvenienced me. The situation between us is becoming an impossible one, Mr. Holmes. It simply cannot go on. One or the other of us must die. Must die, Mr. Holmes. It was in the spring of 1891. You will remember, perhaps, that after my marriage and return to private practice, Holmes and I had drifted apart a little. I followed the newspaper reports of his cases, of course, and called on him quite often at the old rooms in Baker Street. Even so, however, many weeks would sometimes elapse between our meetings. And so, it was with some surprise, one April evening, that I looked up and saw him standing before me in my study. Good evening, Watson. Ah, oh, good evening, Holmes. Have you a cigarette for me? Holmes, it... Great heavens, man, how ill you look. Oh, I dare say I've been using myself up rather too freely of late, old friend. You've no objection if I close your window shutters? No, of course not. You're, you're not afraid of anything, are you? Well, to tell you the truth, I am, rather. Well, it's not like you, Holmes. What is it? Air guns. Air guns? What on earth do you mean? There's a new and deadly type of air gun, Watson, which has been specially designed by an old acquaintance of ours. Who? What, Professor Moriarty? It can only be he from your tone. The same. A match. Give me a match, will you, my dear fellow? Yes, of course. Oh, thank you. Is uh, Mrs. Watson at home? Oh, no, she, she's on a visit to an aunt. Oh, I'm good. quite alone. Good, good. That makes it easier for me to propose uh, that you should come away with me for a few days. Oh, delighted. <laughs> but where? Oh, the continent. Somewhere abroad. Huh? Abroad? Yeah, is that whiskey in the decanter there? Yes. Now, look here, Holmes. What's all this about? There's something more serious in your manner than... Uh, you never did quite believe in the iniquities of Moriarty, did you, Watson? You've said so more than once. <laughs> I felt you exaggerated a bit. After all, Professor Moriarty is a respectable figure in public life. Just so, and that's the very genius of the man. Even you, Watson, knowing me as you do, can't quite believe me when I tell you that he corrupts all London with his evil influence. Oh, I can't quite believe that. Oh, of course, to the world, he's still the professor, the great mathematician. He's respectable. But what real proof have you that he's anything else? None. Well, at least not until this last month. And even now the chain isn't quite complete. For three days more... And I shall have him, Watson. Three days more, if I live to see them. You can't seriously suppose that your life's in danger, Holmes? No. Oh, you always love to be melodramatic. Melodramatic? Listen, Watson, this morning, this very morning, in those old rooms of ours in Baker Street, I saw him face to face. I spoke to him. Moriarty? Your distinguished professor. Within him a criminal strain of the most diabolical kind. That great white dome of a forehead, those hooded eyes, and the white face pushed forward, oscillating from side to side like a snake's. Oh, of course, if you believe the old heresy of physiognomy... It isn't only that, of course not. I've worked for years to follow a thousand different threads, and every one of them has led to Moriarty. 
He's the Napoleon of crime, Watson, the secret organizer of almost everything evil that goes undetected in this great city of ours. There he sits, motionless, like a spider in the center of its web, a web with a thousand strands, and he controls them, every one. But slowly, very slowly, my own secret plans to expose him have borne fruit. Every day my net is drawing tighter, and he knows it, Watson. He knows the danger he's in, and that was why today he came to see me. I was playing my violin, as you know I often do when I want to think, and suddenly there he was. Standing in the doorway, with his white face swaying in that evil way, peering at me with his hooded eyes. Good morning. Professor Moriarty, good morning to you. Mr. Sherlock Holmes, I believe. How very charmingly you play. How kind of you to say so. Hmm. Won't you be seated, Professor Moriarty? I can spare you just five minutes. Singularly good of you, thank you. I will sit down. <clears throat> May I say something personal, Mr. Holmes? Certainly. <laughs> Surprised to discover that you have rather less cranial development than one might have expected. Uh, well, as you, on the contrary, have rather more than I had imagined, Professor. You will recollect, I am sure, however, that Beethoven's outdid us both. <laughs> however, our personal characteristics are hardly relevant to the present situation. What have you really got to say to me? Um, well, perhaps I only suggested, of course, perhaps it is a dangerous habit to finger loaded firearms in the pocket of one's dressing gown, Mr. Holmes. Uh, evidently you share that dangerous habit, Professor. I see that you keep your hand in the pocket of your morning coat. <laughs> Supposing we lay our pistols and our cards on the table. By all means. I was about to suggest it myself. Ah, I see you favor the Mauser type, Mr. Holmes, and without a silencer. You must permit me to present you sometime with one of these small devices of my own design. They're quite convenient in avoiding unpleasant noise, you know. How very kind of you, Professor. You must ask the hangman to deliver it to me as your last request. You evidently don't know me, Mr. Holmes. On the contrary, I think I know you better than you know yourself. I wouldn't take up your gun again, Professor. I've already got you covered with mine. So I perceive, but I assure you it was only to give a harmless demonstration. Of the silencer? Of my own small accomplishments as a marksman, Mr. Holmes. Oh. I've read in those accounts of Dr. Watson, that somewhat bovine, but... I beg your pardon? No doubt amiable friend of yours, that those marks on the wall there are made from your indoor revolver practice. Quite so. The initials there, V.R., Victoria Regina, God save Her Majesty. Now that I see them, it seems perhaps that they're not quite as symmetrical as they might be. One side of the V is a little short, I think. Permit me to correct the slip. Admirable, Professor Moriarty. You were perfectly right, of course. That little mistake has now been rectified. I would like, however, if I may, to improve upon it. Your bullet mark is perhaps a shade smaller than my own. Permit me... Admirable, Mr. Holmes. Yes, precisely. Above your own mark, Professor, the exact spot, I think. No, no, pray don't look alarmed. My good landlady is quite accustomed to that noise. We shall not be disturbed. I'm very glad of it, for what I have to say is not without importance, Mr. Holmes. Shall we stop our fencing and begin? By all means, if you will permit me first to correct one statement that you made just now. Well, sir? With reference to my friend Dr. Watson. I'm afraid I can hardly permit the adjective bovine. Oh. In his accounts of my humble exploits... He's been good enough to exaggerate my own achievements and has always been unduly modest about his own. He is a most upright and honorable gentleman, Professor, and very close to my heart. You may say what you will about me, but I can allow no derogatory words about him. Very well, Mr. Holmes. I apologize. 
we who are about to die salute him. At least you do. You are very certain, aren't you, Professor Moriarty, that it is I who am going to die? There is no other course. Unless you listen to reason. The situation between us, Mr. Holmes, is becoming an impossible one. It simply cannot go on. It won't, I assure you. For these past few months, I've been working to put an end to it all at the earliest possible moment. And you have very nearly undone the careful endeavor of a lifetime, sir. Or at least have seriously threatened it. No, 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 don't move your pistol again. I'm only taking out my memorandum book. I beg your pardon. I find it recorded here that you crossed my path on the 4th of January. On the 23rd, you incommoded me. At the middle of February, I was seriously inconvenienced by you. At the end of March, I was absolutely hampered. And now at the close of April, I find myself placed in such a position through your continual persecution that I'm in positive danger of losing my liberty. That was certainly the end I had in view. Then you must drop it, Mr. Holmes. You really must, you know. Not till after Monday, Professor. You know as well as I do that you've made a slip. One single tiny slip. For years I've been aware of you, Moriarty, at the center of your organization... Forgeries, murder cases, robberies. A thousand crimes were planned by you. A hundred agents carried them out. Your subordinates were caught sometimes, but you never were. And yet, you know, you made that slip, that single tiny slip. And you know as well as I do that it will destroy you. In three more days, my evidence will be complete. I shall have you exposed, brought to trial, condemned, and hanged. And you can do nothing whatever to prevent it. My will is inflexible. And so is mine. Three days, do you say? And before they're out, the end will come. One or the other of us must die, sir. Quite so. The five minutes is up, Professor, and I must really ask you to excuse me. In the pleasure of our conversation, I'm afraid that I've neglected business of importance elsewhere. Very well, then. Seems a pity, Mr. Holmes, that I've done what I could. I admit that it's been an intellectual pleasure, me to see the way in which you've grappled with this affair, but I tell you solemnly, Sherlock Holmes, that if you are clever enough to bring destruction on me, you may rest assured that I shall do as much to you. You have paid me several compliments during this interview, Professor. Let me pay you one in return when I say that if I were assured of the former eventuality, I would most cheerfully accept the latter. I can promise you the one, but not the other. Good day, Mr. Holmes. Oh, your pistol, Professor. You may need it before Monday. Thank you. Good day, Professor. I think goodbye is the word, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Goodbye. So it was, you see, Watson, that singular interview with the greatest criminal of all time. And his with the greatest detective. Oh, thank you, my dear fellow. But, but what are you going to do, Holmes? I told you, we leave for the continent. Moriarty's not the man to let the grass grow under his feet. Already one or two accidents have nearly befallen me today. Upon myself? Yes. The police are gathering all my evidence against him. Everything will be complete in three short days. Meanwhile, I can only lie low. Uh, are you able to leave your practice to come with me? Well, I have an accommodating neighbor. Ah, dear Watson, I knew I could count on you. All right, then. 
Now, these are your instructions. Listen most carefully. Instructions, Holmes? I assure you they are most necessary. Tomorrow morning at 8.45, you will take a handsome cab. I'll arrange for one to call. No, no, you really must obey me to the letter, Watson. You'll leave the house alone tomorrow morning and take neither the first nor the second cab which presents itself at the rank. Very well, Holmes. Hand the address to the cabman written on a slip of paper and tell him not to throw it away. And I drive, I take it, to Victoria Station. On the contrary, you drive to the strand end of the Lowther Arcade. I see. And then? Have your fare ready, and the instant your cab stops, pay him and dash through the arcade, timing yourself to reach the other side at exactly a quarter past nine. Yes, but my dear Holmes... Now listen, man. Listen carefully. It's vital. Our lives depend upon it. When you get there, you'll find a brougham standing close to the curb, driven by a fellow with a black cloak tipped with red. Say nothing. Simply jump in, and he'll drive you to Victoria in time for the Continental Express. And where shall I meet you, Holmes? A second coach from the front of the train, a first-class carriage reserved for us. Good night, Watson. And as you value our lives, don't forget a single word of my instructions. No, 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 of course not, Holmes. Until we meet tomorrow, then. Until we meet. I was infected myself with something of his own inner excitement and sense of menace. I took the hansom and then the brougham with its massive hooded driver. I said nothing to him as I was instructed and he never spoke to me. A moment later, we were rattling to the station. There he left me and drove off without a further glance, his face still hidden. There was no sign of Holmes and my heart sank miserably. I found our reserved carriage, but through some confusion, a decrepit old Italian priest was sitting there. The moment came for departure. Still, I waited by the window in a chill of fear. Scusa, signor. Prego. Yeah, I'm sorry, Padre. Can... I don't speak Italian. Nor do I, what? Uh, oh, good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> but Holmes, <laughs> no, quiet, quiet, man. This is no laughing matter, not yet, anyway. There, see? Stop! Stop the train! It's Moriarty himself, the tall man. He'll never do it. Stop the train, I say! Let me go, you fool! Or if you only knew, let me go! Even the great Moriarty himself is helpless against the British railway system, Watson. Well, well, it gives us an hour's respite, at least. But how, how did he know where we were? By watching you, I expect. But I did everything you told me. Uh, wait, Holmes, the driver of the brougham. Well, what about him? He was muffled. I didn't see his face. It must have been one of Moriarty's men. My dear Watson, it was nothing of the sort. It was my brother Mycroft, shaken for once out of his armchair at the Diogenes Club. Good heavens! The thing is serious, then? Of course. But at least we have an hour, and I can use it to take off this disguise and think things over. But we've escaped him altogether, surely, since the train connects with the boat? My dear fellow, you evidently don't realize even now that Moriarty is an opponent on practically the same intellectual plane as myself. Do you really imagine that if I were the pursuer, I would permit myself to be baffled by so slight an obstacle as an express train? What'll he do, then? What I should do, engage a special... But it'll be too late, even then. By no means. We stop at Canterbury, don't forget. And then there's always a delay of a quarter of an hour when the train gets to Dover. Oh, so you'd almost think we were the criminals to be chased like this? You mean that he'll catch us after all, then? I hope not. We shan't be there, Watson. Look, look here, Holmes. I, 
I hate to grumble after all this time, but really, I do think you ought to tell me what you mean. Heaven bless you for a stout and faithful friend, Watson. I'm sorry. It's only that... Well, well, I don't want to expose you to danger, too. That's why I'm being so mysterious. It's very simple, really. We shall just get out at Canterbury. Indeed. And not go on the continent after all, I suppose. Oh, yes, we must do that. We've no choice but to hide away until after Monday, when the evidence will have been completed. You've not seen the papers this morning, I suppose. Oh, really, Holmes. What time do you think I've had for that? <laughs> One must try to make time for everything, Watson. You really should have read about Baker Street. Hmm? What? Baker Street? Yes, they set fire to our rooms last night. Mrs. Hudson was away from home, fortunately, and no one was hurt, I'm glad to say. They thought I was there, of course. Oh, my soul, the thing's intolerable, Holmes. Yes, only till Monday, Watson, and by then we'll be in Switzerland. We'll make a cross-country journey from Canterbury and take the other boat from New Haven to Dieppe. Uh, unless, of course... What? Our friend the professor deduces what I would deduce and gets off at Canterbury himself. Ah, that would truly be a coup de maître. He surely never would. Well, I rather doubt it. There are limits even to his intelligence. No, no, I think we are safe enough, old friend. And now there's time for a pipe, I fancy. Won't you join me, Watson? And thus it befell. As we hid behind a pile of luggage at Canterbury, we saw the single carriage of the special go thundering past us. And so we made our way across country and at last reached Switzerland. It seemed we had eluded him. To fill in every detail of the final scene is hardly possible, since there was no witness to it. Yet, from a certain source that I cannot yet divulge, I do know something of that last encounter. We wandered at our will through the lovely valley of the Rhone and made our way by way of Interlaken to the little township of Mirigan among the Alps. The fatal Monday came and went. And yet I was still aware of a strange, febrile excitement in my companion. He was at times feverishly on the alert, then sinking into reverie, and would smile strangely to himself. I went with him on that last day of all, on a visit to the falls of Reichenbach, forever hallowed and yet cursed in my memory. It's a fearful place indeed, with a torrent plunging far below into a tremendous abyss, a chasm lined by coal black glistening rock. High above, a pathway's been cut in the cliff face to afford a better view, but it ends abruptly in midair, and the traveller has to return as he came. We stood there, giddily marvelling at the great spectacle. And on the instant came a message for me by a village lad to say that an English lady back at the hotel was seriously ill and needed my immediate attention. I turned to go. I looked back and I saw Holmes leaning against a rock with his arms folded, gazing down at the rush of the waters. It was the last I saw. Is that you, Watson? Back already? Well, Moriarty. Well, Sherlock Holmes. You see, I found you after all. And alone. Alone, as indeed you must be too. 
Now that your confederates are all under lock and key, I've mm-hmm. heard from Scotland Yard. I escaped. I was too clever for them, Holmes. I don't doubt it. But I'm afraid your occupation's gone, Professor, with your organization destroyed, unless you care to return to your mathematics. It was not my intention. I have another and more immediate intention, Sherlock Holmes. Are you prepared? Well, before we discuss that, perhaps you extend me one small courtesy, Professor. No, certainly. What is it? My friend Watson, Professor. No doubt he will be somewhat concerned. Uh, may I just take a moment to scribble a note to him? Certainly. We can fix the paper beneath my alpenstock there, so that it does not blow away. Pray take as long as you wish. That's very good of you. Please... Don't stop talking, Professor. I mastered long ago the art of writing and conversing at the same time. Thank you. You know, of course, that the message was arrived for Dr. Watson as a false one. Oh, yes, of course. I knew it at once. And that it could only come from one source. And yet you let him go? Yes, Professor, I let him go. I am not without some affection for him. I did not wish to put his life in danger, too. Besides... Besides? <laughs> I've looked forward for a long time to this final duel between us. I believe it, Holmes. You're a very remarkable man. In many ways. Many, many ways, sir. I'm proud to have known you. Oh, and I you, Professor. There. My letter's done, then. Perhaps you'll be kind enough to place it, as you suggested. Right. Now. How shall it be, Moriarty? I did not bring a pistol, Holmes. Thank you. Your courtesy puts me to shame, Professor. Here is my pistol. It goes into the falls. Hand to hand? Yes. Goodbye, Professor Moriarty. Goodbye, Sherlock Holmes. When I returned to that broken pathway, it was only too clear what had happened. It needed no great application of Holmes' own methods of deduction. Two sets of footsteps to the verge, and none returning. Locked in each other's arms as they fought, they had gone down to the abyss. Only the letter, the last greeting from my friend and comrade. My dear, dear Watson... He wrote, My dear, dear Watson, I scribble this through the courtesy of Professor Moriarty, who awaits my convenience for the final discussion of those eternal questions which lie before us. There can be but one outcome, although I fear that it is at a cost which will give pain to my friends, and especially, my dear Watson, to you. I think, however, that I may go so far as to say that I have not lived entirely in vain, Pray tell Inspector Patterson that the papers which he needs for a full conviction of the Moriarty gang are in pigeonhole M. Before leaving England, I made every disposition of my property and handed it over to my brother Mycroft. Pray give my affectionate greetings to Mrs. Watson 
and remember me as I used to be in our old days at Baker Street, pacing to and fro with my violin and driving you to a point of sad distraction with that theme you still were good enough to say you loved. Believe me to be my very dear good fellow, yours most sincerely, Sherlock Holmes. Yours most sincerely, Sherlock Holmes. And so he perished, whom I shall ever regard as the best and wisest man that I have ever known. The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, based on the original stories of the late Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, dramatized anew by John Keir Cross, stars Sir John Gilgood as Sherlock Holmes, Sir Ralph Richardson as Dr. Watson, and today, Orson Welles as Professor Moriarty. Produced by Harry Allen Towers. Hi, this is Porchlight Music Theater Design Associate, Ani Wright. If you value programming like this, please consider making a donation today at porchlightmusictheater.org. We appreciate your consideration and hope you enjoy the show. A number of today's stars had surprising credits connected to Broadway musicals. Nigel Bruce, who played Dr. Watson, appeared in the musicals Virginia in 1937 and Knights of Song in 1938. Sir John Gilgood, who played Sherlock Holmes, was the director of the 1973 revival of Irene, starring Debbie Reynolds, until he was fired and replaced by Gower Champion. Orson Welles, who played Professor Moriarty, directed the legendary The Cradle Will Rock in 1937 and paired up with none other than composer-lyricist Cole Porter to write the book, direct, produce, and star in a Broadway musical version of Jules Verne's Around the World in 80 Days in 1946. Before we leave you, here's one more song from the Broadway cast of Baker Street. This sung by the character of Professor Moriarty, as played by actor Martin Gable. I assume, my dear Holmes, that you are wondering what happened to your man, Murillo. His death was crude, but yours will be a work of art. I shall miss you, Holmes, for in truth we are fellow connoisseurs, and it grieves me, Holmes, to eclipse such an intellect as yours. I've enjoyed each thrust and parry and repost. Yes, your genius was in Indeed a match for mine, almost. I shall miss you, sir. I regret your reversion into dust. Life is hard, dear Holmes, and one does what one must. Your demise ensures the unobstructed birth 
of an empire that will circumscribe the earth. Observe Van Herder's masterpiece, a fantastic chronometer of death, which once begun cannot be touched without producing detonation. Oh, you can't know how profoundly I shall miss you, Holmes. Though your death is essential to my schemes, you must die, dear Holmes. Yet as strange as it seems, I shall mourn as I have never mourned before. When the stately homes of England is no more. Theaters across the country need your support, now more than ever. We hope you'll consider a donation to Porchlight Music Theater today. Just go to porchlightmusictheater.org. Until next time on Classic Musicals from the Golden Age of Radio, I'm Michael Weber. Thank you.